0: Hello listeners, today we have public administrator, theater producer, and restaurant manager Chris Fry in the studio. We're breaking down what it really means to be authentic, and the importance of taking risks in order to live a happy and healthy life. So let's get to it. I'm Jeff Shepard, and this is Leading and Being. Okay, hello Chris, uh, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Jeff. It's nice to be here. You're truly one of my favorite people and one of my favorite friends. So, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Um, so, I wanted to start off with you telling me about some of the leadership roles you've taken on over the years. Well, over the years, I've had a variety of
1: different uh, leadership roles in several different industries. Uh, as you know, uh, I come from the restaurant world primarily, and or at least originally. Uh, we were co workers at, uh, at The Buzz, which the is in the Buzz. restaurant world. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. rest in peace. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, beyond that, primarily, and right now, I'm employed uh, as a public servant uh, in the federal government. Yes. Uh, also, in a leadership role as a mentor, or coach um, for new hires and trainees um, with the Government of Canada Pension Centre here in Ottawa. Mm. Uh, but beyond that, even I was involved in several different personal initiatives. Uh, I was the coordinator of a a theater company uh, back in St. John's uh, in the mid to late 2000s, which feels like a lifetime ago now, but um, in a couple of different, uh, different environments and capacities of things that I was passionate about.
0: Yeah. I know you've done some work in the sort of political arena as well. So I think we'll we'll get to that eventually. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I won't open with politics. I'll be nice. Fair enough. Uh, so as someone who's such a creative person and someone who's, I feel like you're a community builder as an extension of your personality. What has that been like for you working in the federal government?
1: Well, I think there's a number of cliches that people hold about what it, like what it means to work in a government environment that there's limitations on creativity or um, the different ways that you can sort of express yourself. But in my experience, there's really not all that much different from the public sector to the private sector in terms of what the ingredients are for success. Um, in terms of, for myself, for example, when I went into government, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, I hadn't really mm-hmm. worked in that sector before. And coming from environments where I was totally free to express myself at all yeah. times, things like
0: theater, um, think like, a yeah. And especially uh, coming from the buzz, I know you took on a management role there and mm-hmm. the, I think you were given a lot of creative freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so to, to sort of put yourself back into
1: a box when you've been out of the box can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. Um, however, I have to say that I, I've learned that there's really the, the skills and things that can make you successful in other fields are totally transferable to government as well. It's just a matter of the manner through which you express yourself. Like there's a little bit more limitation on on how you can say certain things, maybe. But to come up with new ideas and fresh approaches, and um, there are avenues that allow for that. Um, mm-hmm. And those types of things are rewarded when you're working in the public sector, even though a lot of times people feel like you're just sort of like the, you're carrying out someone else's yeah. instructions. It's not always that cut and dry.
0: Yeah. I know that you are someone who often finds themselves in positions of leadership or management roles quite early when they enter a new space. What do you think it is about yourself that makes that the case? <laughs> um, acting like the boss and then eventually <laughs> becoming the boss? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, um, I think that the major driver behind developing leadership roles in certain situations is um, your disposition, your enthusiasm for a project, um, just generally having a positive way about you is something that people tend to rally behind. So if you have ideas that you're bringing to the table or if you're advocating for things that other people also believe in, I think a natural result of that is that people are going to support you and people are going to turn to you as somebody um, to take on a leadership role in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, We talk about how sometimes people are, are natural leaders. I think that the general, the general thing that they all have in common tends to be a positive disposition
0: hmm. I think you're also someone who can read people really well. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you say that's true? I would say so. Oh, I yeah. think that every good bartender can read yeah. people well, <laughs> as you would know as well.
1: Uh, I think that comes comes with the territory yeah. Yeah. of the yeah. industry. Yeah. Um, it's the, the difference between a, a good server and a not so good server is the ability to read whether or not what level of attention is it that people want. Sometimes people want yeah. you to treat them like they're yeah. your favorite child, and you want to coddle them. Yeah. But then other times, people just want to be left alone. They yeah. kind of want
0: to. They want to have their date, and they want to yeah be in that world. And that's that's a struggle, though. That's one of the reasons I don't think I'm a great server, like in a restaurant. Like I love bartending, be behind the bar, and the go go go. But yeah. I struggle reading that. Sometimes you just want to it's talk tired. to everybody. Exactly. The, the, this, is
1: the, this is your, the, your exactly. thing. And I remember that, <laughs> which is received well by most people. Well, yeah,
0: most <laughs> people. You're in the right, right field. It's fine. <laughs> Um, So I wanted to get into your experience with your theatre company back in Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you saw a bit of uh, an opportunity to give a space to some youth and to really lift up some youth that you were were working with. Uh, Can you speak to that experience a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So
1: when I was in high school, one of the the sort of areas of creative expression that I really got into uh, was theatre. Uh, theater of both the stage and then, of course, musical variety. Uh, I think that was around the time that my family began having their suspicions about my sexuality. <laughs> when I like hung up the hockey skates and started <laughs>
0: Dude, <laughs> don't write doing musical parade. theater. Um,
1: but uh, that was a, an area that I was really passionate about. I was involved in a competition amongst high schools in my region where I was the director of our school's entry uh, into the competition. And I found that a lot of the pieces that the schools had chosen, the other schools, uh, they were very light. They were very lighthearted mm-hmm. in nature. They were very sort of, I called them bubblegum pieces yeah. uh, about morals, about like sharing and yeah. you know, being nice to people. <laughs> and I, I was looking at it through the lens of like, we're, we're capable of so much more than that, even at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, as I began doing community theater and things, Community musicals, I was noticing this trend where, especially in a community that's as small as St. John's is, relatively speaking, um, there was a bit of a vacuum at the top of of opportunities for development for young artists. Um, you know, The major roles would consistently go to the same group of people, which I'm sure is true of a lot of places. Um, however, there was no real opportunity to grow as an artist in that community, in mm-hmm. that setting. So, when the decision was made to start my company, um, it was with the intention of providing an avenue or a channel for youth. We had an age cap uh, for youth specifically to gain experience and exposure in the industry, whether it was on the stage or the technical side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you name it, everything from top to bottom was entirely youth oriented. Um, but also, we wanted to do pieces that were challenging. That had a Absolutely. message and had had purpose, not just not just something that everyone would go to and say, oh, well, that was nice. Like, yeah. No, no, we wanted to sort of actually give them something challenging to work with. Yeah, and not shying away from putting on more sort of intimate, hard-hitting pieces. Exactly. We wanted to sort of make people think. And I think ultimately what wound up happening was the fact that we were a youth company and we were able to do pieces like that, it, it, it furthered my goal even more in a sense because... It made people acknowledge the fact that, okay, wow, like, these are, these are like their kids almost like they're, you know, they're in their teens or whatever, and they can handle a piece like our first show was the Laramie project. Uh, the Laramie project, of course, being about the uh, late nineties um, hate crime sort of murder of Matthew Shepard, gay man mm-hmm. in Wyoming,
0: yeah.
1: in Laramie, Wyoming. And so... Uh, That turned a lot of heads. There was people who kind of went, whoa. (laughs) What was it about putting on that show that was so important to you? Uh, Well, it was twofold, really. Um, The first part being that I really sort of wanted, it was important to me to open with a bang, so to speak, in terms of, okay, let's really set the table going forward about what our goals are going to be as a theater company. Um, For anybody who's familiar, the Larry Projects, it's a very challenging piece. Um, Each actor is required to play about 10 to 12 different characters. Uh, So from an actor's perspective, it's quite challenging. Um, It's a minimalist set. So the staff, uh, the staff, the cast, (laughs) uh, the cast are required to sort of carry the piece in a a big way. Um, But also I had a personal connection with the Laramie events. um, Mm. And I wanted to tell the story in my own hometown. Um, about sort of what had happened and how it came to be, and and how it affected people, um, mm-hmm. because it's a subject matter that that doesn't really get approached a whole lot. Absolutely, was
0: your role? You took on the script, and then your role was director, uh, like director or producer. for mm-hmm. That piece, yeah. How was it working with young people? Well, I myself was young at that time, which was an oh, interesting. Oh yeah, that's, that's right. You know, that's once right. upon yeah, a yeah. time. So, were you actually you were gathering like some of your friends together at this point, right? Sort of. Um, what was that like balancing a leadership role, and, it's, and especially you sort of running the theatre company with people that were also your age?
1: Um, you know what? For the most part, um, there there were no issues with that, uh, even though it was sort of like a peer-to-peer almost kind of dynamic happening. Um, no, no, there were, there were no challenges with respect to... Uh, authority or or anything of that nature if anything i think you know it kind of created some space for some pretty unique developments from an artistry perspective when people were a little bit more comfortable i think maybe to discuss ideas maybe they had with me as the director than they would say if I was like a, you know, 50 or 60 yeah. year old man, yeah. they, they felt better about approaching somebody who was from their demographic to say, Hey, with this character, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe doing this accent or doing yeah. this uh, stage motion. Right. Yeah. I think maybe my youth in that sense gave them even more creative freedom. Yeah. And what wound up being the product was just so beautiful. It was, yeah. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. There was some, you know, obviously with any, production of this nature there's tensions at times and personality clashes and what have you but that's that's the nature of the beast and i learned so much from it
0: yeah of course i think one of the downfalls or unfortunate things about some leaders that i've experienced is that they're so caught up in the power structures at play and sort of the social hierarchy of whatever organization or corporation they're in but if you can in a way level yourself with sort of everyone and sort of treat everyone equally there's where some incredible stuff can happen in terms of team building.
1: Yeah, for especially sure. Especially in a
0: leader situation.
1: I think anytime you're in a leadership position and you allow yourself to think that you know everything, you, you're finished. You're yeah. done. Yeah. Right? The, only, the, the, the best way to kind of guide people in those situations is to allow them to be part of it, to participate. Because um, yeah. if you're just telling them what to do or dictating they're not really benefiting from the experience. They're not growing. They're not developing their own skills for future necessarily. Um,
0: So I think a huge part of being a successful leader is to listen to other people. Yeah. Sort of trust that you've surrounded yourself with decent people and people that can get it done. Exactly. When we met last week, you talked a lot about um, developing into yourself and coming into yourself more fully. And you've always been someone who's been a real go-getter. I think you even told me in high school you ran for city council or something. Or yeah, <laughs> so you're someone who's always been a go-getter for sure. Um, where do you think you you got some of that grit from? Hmm. Well, I'm not afraid to try.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's that's one thing for sure Um, because trying something doesn't always mean you're going to be successful at it Mm -hmm. Um, but I also believe that there's a lot of opportunity to learn and grow from ventures or or attempts at things that aren't successful Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know so I think that there's and there's ways that you evolve and you change as a person when you're coming to terms with that but I think that the more the less afraid you are to put yourself into a situation and try something new, the easier it becomes over time.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. It's usually those first few things in our sort of sort of formative years that, that set the table for the way that we're going to approach whatever it is that comes after. Um, So yeah, you made mention that when I was 19, I ran for city (laughs) council in my hometown. Uh, It was a by-election. And, I had no business being there at all. (laughs) Um, It was a fun attempt uh, and I learned a lot and I met a lot of people, uh, but it was a a, a catastrophic failure. (laughs) But uh, the thing is, is that once you've put yourself out there to that extent, to that magnitude, so publicly to the point of putting your face all over your hometown on signs, yeah, um, other smaller things, they don't feel as overwhelming or as consuming. Yeah, it's absolutely. sort of like,
0: and I did that at 19. Yeah. So, yeah. I know that you speak quite openly about, uh, your coming out experience. Did, you know, did that have a big role in developing some grit? Do you feel that for yourself?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, when I was in, in primary elementary school and even the beginning of junior high or middle school in Ontario, as you call it, um, I was very reserved, very shy, yeah, uh, I read all my own books in the back of the classroom and I didn't really have a lot of friends. And um, and then as time went on, I sort of came to terms with my sexuality.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I didn't have a lot of those fears that other people have in terms of um, coming out and, and losing their friends or losing their uh, social yeah. status or yeah. their popularity or whatever the case may be. Um I didn't have any of that. Frankly, I had, I didn't really have anything to lose. So for me, my sort of, my decision of coming out and, and sort of, which wasn't really a big, like I didn't sit anybody down and say, you know, oh, Hey mom, like, you know, I, I have to tell you something yeah. and, and, I, and I hope that you're okay with it. But, <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I, I'm, I, I'm gay. Yeah. Like, no, no, like it, for me, it wasn't something that was subject to other people's approval or disapproval. Yeah. It was just who I was. And, and so there was no big event it was just sort of i accepted it within myself and, yeah. and move forward from there mm-hmm. and that actually kind of represented a turning point for me um all of a sudden then i felt i felt free to kind of be more like myself really yeah. underneath it all and and not really be so concerned with with maybe what other people think and yeah. this sort of thing and um and then one thing leads to another and then all of a sudden i'm president of my student council in high school and i have all like a, a wonderful circle of friends and it, and it all stems from the decision to
0: sort of just accept who i was yeah sort of stick true to yourself and decide to commit to yeah your own authenticity for sure exactly. that was certainly the case for me as well um when i first came out it was the biggest like commitment I made to myself in terms of I'm going to live the life that I want to live. And it was the biggest letting go moment for me of, you know, there's some people in my life now who I'm going to have to let go of. And that's okay. Cause quite honestly, I don't see any other option. No. And I think that commitment I made to myself at such a young age plays into so much of who I am now. How old were you? Yeah. I was 19, I believe. I think it's okay. my first year of university. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah it was an incredible experience and it was obviously so terrifying but what's so what's so funny is that it was you get so in your head about all of it and you get so caught up in it and then finally you vocalize it and I like I was very lucky as well but I assumed that you know maybe I'd lose some people or it would be really tough but it was just like so much love and like so much support from my friends and family and that part was what I was so surprised about it's like and again like I think it just goes to show that no matter what it is when you make any sort of step towards becoming your true self. And, and when you, you start to radiate that and people are drawn to that, I mean, you see it and I, I certainly do as well. Yeah. And I think that's the way it should be. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. So authenticity has always been something that has, um, I've been really curious about as a concept, as a feeling. Um, and I asked you about, you know, do you feel authentic in all your different spaces and different jobs and different projects that you've taken on? And you said that, you in fact make yourself almost like a little bit bigger. And I I feel that a lot as a bartender, as a yoga teacher, as someone who hosts a podcast, I feel like I'm somewhat on sometimes. Uh, And for me, I feel quite authentic in that choice that I made. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit about your experience with uh, what looking bigger looks like? What does that mean? Yeah, well, it's sort of, I, I think it's possible to still be your
1: authentic self in different environments and settings to sort of adapt that version of you to suit your surroundings. So I'll use the example for myself. Um, You know, when I was bartending or when I was uh, working in the restaurant, that's a different version of myself than the one that I bring to work for the federal government in that environment. I'm a little bit different. I'm still my same self. I mean, if the question is, do I feel authentic? The answer is yes, but I, I'm almost, uh, at times an exaggeration of myself or or a caricature even of myself in terms of which qualities I choose to accentuate or highlight versus maybe downplay. Um, Yeah. You know, so that's kind of the dynamic that happens, but I don't think that that's a challenge to authenticity. Yeah. I think that's just a, a, the, it's just being good at being a chameleon of the environment that you're in and understanding that different settings command different
0: needs. Um, different traits to be at the forefront absolutely i used to really struggle with that because i work at a nightclub as a bartender and i f- used to feel like i had to give it like my full authentic self if i'm going to be real right i mm-hmm. like i don't want to come off as fake to anybody but i decided that you know what like i'm allowed to put on a bit of a performance when i'm at work if i want to especially when you're in a nightclub you got to keep the energy way up there's pounding music it's a ridiculous place to work and the serving industry in general is such a unique space to work in and I used to really struggle with that, like feeling like I was performing and feeling like that wasn't okay. But it's like, no, if I feel authentic in my choice to be that person, mm-hmm. then what's the issue, right? Well, exactly. It's not you're not amending your yourself at your core.
1: You're just kind of you're playing with the settings a little bit. Yeah, right? you're sort of. <laughs> I mean, there's times when yeah. there's times when I was working in the restaurant world where I it, it almost felt like theater. Right, it's it's exactly it's, it's what like I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're you're literally setting the table uh, in some environments, and so you know people see you in that world, and and you have to be outgoing, you have to be approaching people, you have to be willing to to have those conversations that sometimes people might not even want, uh, and <laughs> you know these are these are the the realities of being in that world, and yet at the same time, you know, I very much like to stay at home with my cat. Right, right. Yeah. so but but both of those things are are me at my core and yeah. right? I I'm, I'm able to do those things. I'm able to switch back and forth and I'm able to still feel like myself underneath it all. Yeah. But I agree in the sense that there's times when you have to make yourself bigger to fill that space of of the position that you're in. Yeah.
0: What's your experience with boundaries working in the service industry? Cuz a lot of people assume that Because you're treating everyone so well and you're genuinely 100% invested in the space that you're working in, people think everyone's like your your best friend and then they want to hang out tomorrow. And there's always that. What has been your experience with that, with setting boundaries? Setting boundaries. Or do you not? Or what's your, like, how do you handle people that might assume your relationship is much more than it is because they're not quite aware that you're at work and it's your job to be on and to make people feel good?
1: I think that the majority of, the majority of how you respond to that in a professional setting, it comes down to body language. Hmm. Honestly, um, you know, there's, there's study after study that show that when it comes to effective communication, it's not what we say that is heard or, or transmitted so much as how it is that we say it. Mm. Like the words themselves don't, don't really matter all that much. Yeah, it's point. all about intonation and, and, and body language and this sort of thing. So, for me, I think. Well, I worked in the restaurant industry for twelve years. Y- you kind of learn how to how to adapt those things in a subtle way that you know. And don't get me wrong, the the vast, vast, vast majority of clients that I interacted with, I genuinely enjoyed those interactions. Yeah. Right. I I genuinely I like conversing with people and hearing their stories, and yeah. and that was probably the highlight of the job for me. Actually, was that that ability to connect yeah. in that sense. Um, but at the same time, you know, the reality becomes eventually there are certain circumstances whereby yeah. you have to draw the line, yeah. which I think is probably a situation that you run into more so than I used to mm-hmm. because you just want to give the whole world a great big old hug. <laughs> Absolutely, right? yeah. Like this is, this <laughs> is how you operate. And sometimes people can misinterpret that openness as an invitation for something that isn't actually there. Um, for sure, and that's not necessarily your fault.
0: It is what it is. Yeah,
1: it, it, it is what it is. But then you know, eventually you have to advocate for yourself in yeah. those situations.
0: Yeah, and again, it's setting those boundaries. It's important, but it's very much so how I communicate that that makes the biggest difference. Sort of yeah, how I actually tell them and have that conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's also you know there's situations
1: where people, uh, especially for workers in hospitality uh, or in in service industry. Uh, it's an opportunity for people to maybe say or do things that they wouldn't normally do because you're bound to be nice. You have to be nice. You have to at least be polite. Right. Is the, is the thinking. Right. So, you know, people, when you, when you, when you give them that little window of, of, I don't want to say freedom, but
0: also a validation and the, the space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, It all depends. Yeah. But I've, I've never had a
1: problem setting boundaries. Yeah. I have a face. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I'm
0: told I have a face. <laughs> um, that says everything. <laughs> so I know you have some experience coordinating a national pageant. Is that the right word I should use? <laughs> sure. All right. Let's go with that. Um, what was that process like for you as the main coordinator? And Ooh. what was that journey also for you? I'd love for you to share a bit about that. <laughs> Uh, no, it was
1: certainly certainly a journey. Um, that was a venture that I embarked on because once again, similar to my theater um, adventure we discussed earlier, um, I recognized a need within the industry for something different than what was available. Um, I had worked in that industry for for many many years my my mother operated. Uh, an event in Newfoundland that was essentially like my family business. So I grew up around it. Um, But I wanted to bring something to the table that was uh, a departure from the stereotypical that, that um, was different than what people conceptualize when they think, you know, pageant. So I assembled a team of people because I had access to contacts and people that I had met through my own network working in that industry. Yeah. Really great people, all the right people, um, we began planning a, a, a national an event that was national in scope. It was going to be based here in Ottawa. Um, it was going to sort of defy all the stereotypes. I was so <laughs> excited to be bringing this to the table um, and it flopped, yeah. It flopped right on its face. Yeah, Um, I love how you say that with a smile. I love people like you. Yeah, I do because it was so spectacular Mm -hmm. in its failure um, that it was something that you know you're so passionate about and you're so convinced that it's going to be great and awesome and it's going to be this and that and then and then when the time comes, there's nobody around who wants to actually yeah. Do it, participate in it. Not, I shouldn't say nobody. Uh, there was some yeah. interest. But in terms but of the size n- and scale. Nowhere near the level that yeah. I anticipated, uh, that I imagined in my mind was, was out there
0: just waiting for something like this to come along. Yeah. Um, so, walking away from that, sort of what, what stands out the most from that experience? Y-
1: you know, I think that in situations, in situations like that where the failure is so big, um you have to think of it in terms of if if you never try you never know. Mhm. Right? Cuz if this is something that I had believed in and I thought, "Oh my god, if only something like this was available, but nobody's nobody's doing it, so why not me? I'll try it." Um but now I I sort of I know I can walk away from it knowing that I tried. Yeah. Right? It's sort of like I don't know, I no longer have those what if yeah. Feelings lingering in the background.: Absolutely.: We tried it. it the, the market wasn't there. Yeah,
0: that's how it goes. Yeah, right. I think that's one of the things I love to explore for this podcast is there's some people who seem to be living happier and healthier lives than other people. What, it is, what is it about those people that keeps them feeling so good? And I think this is one of the big things is that they're willing to take those leaps of faith, mm-hmm. to know that they would much rather try and give it a shot and to to sit in that space where you're just nervous about doing it.
1: Yeah, I, I think we can't have regrets. Mm-hmm. Right? Regret is something that that affects people in ways that we don't always realize. And so if I had gone my whole life without attempting that venture, without at least putting it out there, yeah. I would have had that doubt about what could have been, right? What, what might have been possible if only... I had tried. Yeah. But at least now I can move
0: forward. Right. I did try. Yeah. It didn't work. (laughs) Yeah. And when we first chatted about this, you talked about seeing this failure as loss and how loss is something that can teach us so many lessons. Can you speak a little bit to that and your experience with that? I think that loss situations of loss
1: teach us the most about ourselves, about who we are, about, how we rebound and move forward from, from these situations. I think that loss often represents an enormous learning opportunity. Yeah. It's not always easy to see it. Yeah. Especially in the moment when it's just happened. Um, but for sure there's, there's opportunities for development and growth that come from loss. I
0: find uh, beginnings often disguise themselves in ends. Yeah. I know letting go is a big part of that as well, which has been such an incredible theme throughout these four episodes I've had so far. But letting go has been through and through um, one of the practices of people who are living sort of healthy and happy lives. Mm -hmm. So one of the concepts and and feelings that I like to explore is the concept of belonging. Mm -hmm. I guess I think it's tied so closely to the human experience. And especially uh, in light of your coming out journey, you sort of took that leap of faith and... What is your experience with that sort of sense of belonging and creating that sense of belonging for other people? I know that even when I'm around you, you make me feel really good and authentic in myself. I think that's something that you radiate. You know, is that something you do consciously or what is that like for you? Not necessarily.
1: Um, I think uh, approachability is something that, that's connected to just general disposition. Um, but even beyond that, I think community is so important community in the sense of um whether that's a theater community or you know the lgbt community Mm -hmm. or uh Mm -hmm. ottawa as a community or like there's so many different definitions of it but it's so important to the human experience community it's it's the one thing that brings us all together yeah Um, and i think that that sense of belonging comes from surrounding ourselves with people who maybe share our interests or share our passions who are concerned about the same things that, that we are. Um, those are the things that bring us most to life, um, that make us feel the most included. And, and when people have that, that energy, you know, you feel it, you know, you know when you're with
0: your people. Yeah. It's incredible how community, sort of objectively, might not really exist because it's such a feeling. Like it's such when you're in a space, or they feel like you're a part of something bigger, or you don't. And it's incredible that individuals have the power to create that feeling for other people. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a time, maybe, maybe for many of us, is that it's like, who am I to be that person to to create that for somebody else and to sort of go out on a limb and 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 make sure I am, like you said, like approachable or making people feel welcome. That's a, yeah, it's just a huge part of it. It's so much of a, a felt experience mm. that, as you know, is something you can just create yourself or other people. Sometimes. And what's ma- it's amazing is that it also is, it comes back to you, where you then feel a sense of belonging, even though you're the one that created it to begin with. It can be such a give and a take. It's a loop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people don't know that sometimes. I think it's incredible. Mm. That's sort of one of the secrets, I think. Mm-hmm. I know that many people who are in leadership roles often feel like an imposter. Uh, have you had that experience? Um, yes, I, I think. Or do you have that experience still sometimes? On occasion, I would say yes. Um,
1: but I think that 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 feeling that you're referring to the feeling like an imposter. I think the source of that is humility. it's, yeah. being, it's being humble. Right. Even though you're in a yeah, leadership, sure. even though you're in a leadership position, and you're sort of guiding the way for other people, as the case may be, or you are bringing an idea of your own into life, into being, and, and are trying to share it with other people, I think that 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 feeling like you're doing something where you you don't belong, or as you mentioned earlier, the the who am I to yeah. be that person? Those those instincts and those thoughts. I think those are signs of somebody who's just humble, somebody who, mm. uh, you know, is is being aware of how it's not only about them. Yeah, I mean, you're, inherently by saying that you're thinking about other people, you're mm-hmm. thinking about the people around you and how they're also important. Yeah. Right? So I, I, I feeling like an imposter, yes. However, I would be worried if I stopped feeling that way. Yeah.
0: Wow. I love that. <laughs> so, I would uh, like to gain a better understanding of your relationship with spirituality or faith. Can you speak a little bit about what your relationship is with that? Um. Well, I mean, obviously, it's it's a personal
1: experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels it a bit differently, and don't feel like I'm fishing for an answer. anything. No. I, I would love to just know what I don't your experience think you're fishing because okay. you're not going to catch anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. I don't, I don't have any particular leanings or crutches within that realm. Mm-hmm. I tend to rely on myself, um, maybe a bit too much sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in my youth, I was confirmed in the United Faith.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh,
1: which I did mostly for my grandmother. Actually, mm-hmm. um, it was something that was really important to my grandmother, and when I was at that age, and for me, I was sort of indifferent so if there was something that i could do that meant the world to her but yeah. that that cost me nothing why wouldn't i do it yeah. right so yeah.
0: i did that for the love of my grandmother um one but, the, yeah i want to chime in one of the reasons i ask you this is also because you're someone who has a lot of like unconditional love for other people and you always treat people with so much to, to, like dignity and respect and not that those sort of values have to come from a structured spirituality or a structured religion or anything like that. But where do you think those deep rooted values came from for you? Um,
1: it's a combination of things for me. Uh, well, I'm from I'm from Newfoundland. Oh, he's in. Well, there we go. The there's East the answer. Coast. Thank you so much
0: for coming, folks. I appreciate. It.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. There's more to it than that. Yeah. Um, the stereotypes about exactly, the disposition yeah. of East Coast uh, Canadians, well, they they kind of exist for a reason. I think that there's a greater sense of community yeah. um, in the part of the country where I come from. Not to say that it doesn't exist in other places, but it's particularly strong um, in the Atlantic provinces and in Newfoundland, sure. and, and we're sort of famous for that. Yeah. So my environment that I grew up in was all about it's sort of the collective experience, right? it's all about sharing what you have and helping your neighbors and, you know, that, that sort of love for the people around you. Mm -hmm. That's something that you you can't escape that if you come from a place like Newfoundland. Um, That being said, my, my mother, my grandmother, the people that were most involved in raising me, they were also products of that environment. Yeah. So it's sort of, it carries on and it moves through that way so the things that they had learned are things that they're teaching me Um, and i think when i moved here when i left newfoundland in 2009 and i moved here i realized truly how much power that kind of kindness can actually have yeah it catches people off guard it does when you're just when when you're when you have a certain disposition about you that's that's positive and friendly. And when you hold doors open for people or you let someone, you know, turn when you're driving, like these kinds of yeah. things, or when you give someone your full attention, people aren't expecting it. Radical concept. I know. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, put the phone away, right? Like when these are the sorts of things that we've come to sort of accept, it seems as a society that aren't necessary, but when mm-hmm. they're present, people appreciate them. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with any assessment of yours that I'm sort of always nice and always this mm-hmm. or 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 you know there's times when course, that's not true. Of course, um, but I do attribute a lot of those qualities uh, to to sort of the
0: the place that mm-hmm. reared me. Yeah, and so I'm... and definitely some of those mentors that you had growing up. Yeah, for sure. The people that people you surround yourself with. Exactly. We're products of our environment, after all. <laughs> yes, we forget this too often. Yes. Okay, so Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and for being such a beautiful and inspiring person. So It's always a pleasure to be in your company. Yeah. Keep on spreading that love. We need it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. So that's it, folks. Uh, remember that what we know matters, but who we are matters more. So take care of yourselves, be kind, and we'll see you next week. I'm Jeff Shepherd, and this was Leading in Being.